Okay, here we go, here we go. Sorry, we're, I got interested in you and then we got late, so that's always a bad thing. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Okay, thank you very much for coming out. Uh, we'll sort of see what happens here over the next few weeks. You know, by the time we touch Lent, we should be pretty much be wrapping up. So you should be thinking, you know, whether you want to join the family or not, your choice, uh, sort of. We'll see, we'll see what happens as we go. Vicar, there is a form somewhere that likely suspects need to fill out if they want to join. We need to find that form. I'm not much of a form guy, but around there somewhere there's got to be a form, right? So put this, put this bit away for now. We won't do that right now. We just want to think about a little bit about where we've been and where we're going. So last week there was Jesus who lets you be his sibling and he gives you his prayer uh, and he says, hey, you can pray too, which is a very, very kind thing to do. Uh, prayer is such an interesting thing. We find it so difficult, and yet it's some of the greatest and sometimes the only work that we can do. And it is a work that can never go wrong. So if you pray, you're a Christian. Uh, you know, um, I know of a guy who's an old rock and roller and really had kind of a kind of a tough, uh, somewhat tangentially demonic life. And I just tell you the stories that was told to me. He was attacked by a demon and said, Lord, help me. And the Lord actually did remarkable stuff. Now he works in the church, quite a, quite a wonderful sort of story. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit today, but one of the great things about prayer, it's just sort of the normal work that you do and it can never go wrong. It's some of the best work you can do, and it's horribly difficult. So we, la we left last week with Abba Agathon, who says, prayer is warfare till the last breath. And the reason it's warfare is that <clears throat> you're undoing the work that Satan wants to do. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, off we go, uh, working hard toward the good. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage you in that and try to get it to be a habit in you. And actually, it's a way that you can change your own life and the lives of others. So, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit today. Now, uh, this is, uh, this is, I mean, the, the quality of the questions that come are fabulous, right? So here's the question, right? Uh, does God change his mind on behalf of our prayers? This is, of course, right. That's Beautiful question. Like Moses praying for the children of Israel, that God does not destroy them, or is something else going on, which is a very open-minded sort of question. What else could possibly be going on? Uh, so the answer is, he absolutely positively changes his mind, and you absolutely positively have the possibility of changing it. Doubtless you will say to me, there have been councils of the church about the changelessness of God which of course is true, but you have to ask yourself what changes and what doesn't. So this is what never changes. What never changes is that God is for you and not against you. And God would do anything to have you home again. That is change less. That is the thing that does not change in God. What changes in God is strategy what he would do to have you back. 
Now, you're a person and he's a person. God is a person, you're a person. The Father is a person, the Son is another person, the Holy Spirit is another person, three persons of the Trinity. Uh, they all have a pretty good idea of how they'd like the cosmos to work. The, the way that they would like the cosmos to work is if you'd come home again. That's what they would love. Now you do all kinds of wonderful, but then all kinds of crazy things. Sinful things, horrible things, wonderful things. You're this bundle of unpredictability, zigging and zagging. And so the Lord is trying to figure out what would be the next thing that would be good to bring you back. Except you're a bit of a moving target. And maybe you pray or maybe you don't, or maybe somebody prays for you or maybe they don't. So you have all these persons expressing their hopes. And you have God hoping too. And then sometimes you or your kids or your father or your mother are hoping against that. So you have this big conflation of this car, you know, car crash of everything um, coming together in different directions and hoping for the best. That's how life looks. Now you will say to me, doubtless, you know, but the Lord knows everything. That, in fact, he does. And I'll complicate it further by saying the Lord has no time. So there's no back then and today and tomorrow for the Lord. But you need to always sort out knowing from doing. So if you stand on the roof and watch the corner long enough, uh, right over here, since nobody stops for stop signs in Wheaton and a run for mayor on the single platform, eventually you'll say, those two cars, they're going to crash, they're going to crash, they're going to crash, and then they will crash because in Wheaton, nobody stops for stop signs. And so um, you knew it was going to happen, but you didn't cause it. And so in the Lord, too, you, he knows what's going to happen, but he doesn't cause every last thing. You have a free will and an intellect. You cause some things, too, you know. And so if you sort of bundle that up times a gazillion, you have all the things that are happening in the world. So way back to the initial question, does God change things? Absolutely positively. Does he change things based on your prayers? I'm gonna show you 10 or 15 places where he does. Uh, well, at least I'll point you toward them. We'll do a couple. And with that, I want to encourage you then to pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray uh, for the church and Pray for your enemies, which is how Jesus talks. Okay? So, now Jesus doesn't ask you, you should grab a Bible because we're going to make you work. Uh, Jesus doesn't, we won't go to this one first, but you can trust me on this or you can look it up if you're kind of a Bible sleuthy kind of person. Uh, Hebrews is, you know, an inch from the back of that Bible, maybe three quarters of an inch. Uh, Hebrews is this interesting book of the Bible that describes what's happening right now. So much of the Bible is what happened in the past or what might happen in the future. Hebrews describes what's happening right now. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus spends all day praying for you. Jesus is a priest. He's the perfect priest. He has his father's ear and he lives his life to pray for you. So what does Jesus do all day long? He prays for you. We looked at that in Romans 8 last week, but Hebrews 7.25. Jesus spends his days praying for you because he loves you so much. But then, because Christians 
see and say and do what Jesus sees and says and does, Jesus asks you to do the same thing or we're given to do the same thing. So last week, you remember when the disciples said, teach us to pray, Jesus doesn't say, okay, now you kneel down and close your eyes and when you make, hit your hands together and then right thumb over left to make the sign of the cross, he doesn't do any of that. He says to you, here's my prayer, you should use this, it's really, it's really good, right? So that's sort of where we left off last week. But uh, we need to go on just a little farther then in terms of um, changing things. So uh, if you went to Hebrews dutifully, move left in your Bible back to Luke. We're going to go back to where we were last week. Okay? Luke chapter 11. Okay, so if you, and if you have a, if somebody has the number, you can just sort of shout it out. Anybody got Luke 11? What is it in that? company issue Bible. 869? Thanks, so 869 in that Bible. So, you, uh, here we go. So he was, Jesus praying, the disciples come and said, hey, that seems like fun. And Jesus says, yeah, it really is, you should give it a go. And that's what we did last week. Then, uh, verse 5 is the story of my life, professionally in yours. So I just, I looked at my calendar for next week. I don't have an hour to spare. This is really interesting because we commit to this taking care of people. You know, Pastor Kendall goes his schedule and loads onto our schedules. I mean, I watch people go through Pastor Nelson's door. He's young, he's hip, he has answers. It's great like being old. People look at me and go, he has nothing to say. And then I say to myself, Fabulous. I'm going home and Nelson can stay. It's great. Everybody loves Nelson, right? So, but this is the story of my life, yours too. I'm a pastor, so people come to me and say, um, my mother is dying, my child is sick, my son doesn't go to church, um, I've lost my faith, uh, my job's going away, I have to move. People ask me all day long, or help with things I can't control. This happens to you as well. Your next door neighbor comes over and says, my husband just got diagnosed with, right? Uh, my daughter has a brain tumor. You go to church, what could you do? One of my neighbors, the only ever time I've ever been in their house is when um, the wife was in a car crash and it looked like she might die. Then they invited me in to pray over her she recovered and then never again. Right? People ask you to do things. Well, it's startling. This is exactly what Jesus tells you about here. Look, 11 verse 5. So Luke 11 verse 5. Jesus said to his disciples, so they've come to him and they're curious about praying, you know. Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him? So let me just kind of translate the question back into the interrogative. You're in bed, and you have a friend next door. So which of you has a friend who will come to him at midnight and say, hey, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So now just kind of translate this, okay? I'm here. You live next door. Your friend is in trouble. He's hungry. You have nothing so you go over here to borrow. You got it? 
the person in need, the person who asks, the person who has stuff. Right? Got it? One, two, three, you got this? Figured out? So these are your friends whose child is sick, whose wife was in a car crash. Here you are in bed minding your own business, and now you're asked to solve something that you have no expertise solving, or you can't solve. I'm, my business is about to go under. Could you lend me a million bucks? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him? So who does this? Who says, don't bother me, the door is shut, my children are in bed with me, I can't get up, right? Who says that? Middle Eastern hospitality. I mean, the question is, so nobody says that, right? So, you know, your next door neighbor, who you don't even know, comes over and says, hey, I remember you're in the church, could you come and pray over my wife? She just got hit by a car. That's an interesting turn of events. Do not bother me, the door is shut, my children are both me. No. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his importunity, because he keeps bugging me, his persistence, because that ping on your text keeps ringing, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So here's the story. Your friend comes to see you. You don't have anything. You go over and get something from somebody who has something, and you give it to them. This is you, this is your friend, this is Jesus. So, there's not much that any of you can do about brain tumors. Even if you're a surgeon, there's some brain tumors you can't do anything about. But you know somebody who can do something, and you should go borrow some good from that person and give it on. So you say to your friend, uh, I know somebody who's good with brain tumors, uh, or wayward children, or horrible spouses, or bad managers, or pick something. The weather, my impending death, whatever it happens to be. Jesus has a full supply of things, and what Jesus encourages you to do is to borrow them and take them to your friends. In your prayers, you're a borrower. Does this make sense? Almost always the solutions are beyond you. But the resources are not beyond your reach. So your kids drive you crazy. Your friends are off the rails. You know, your church has gone straight to hell. So just pick something. It doesn't really matter. There's very few things in your life that you can solve on your own. Very, very few. But if you want to change the world, if you want to help, if you want things to get better, you go to Jesus and you borrow what he's got. And you do that by prayer. Here, keep going, right? So, right? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Right? Now, so Jesus has this stuff. He has these promises, he has these sacraments, he's jammed with forgiveness, right? He's full of generosity and hope. He's got hope when nobody else has hope. Jesus has things, Jesus has ideas, Jesus has promises, Jesus has everything, and he says to you, um, I don't just have three loaves, I actually have half a dozen. Wait, there's 12 in the back. 
Pick the one you want. Is it the one with the rosemary in the dough, or do you like those peppers on top, or are you just kind of a plain, is your friend kind of a plain person, right? That's what you, you get this, right? So, but the important thing for you is that you would go borrow and bring back to your friend. So, one of the most generous things you can say to people is, I prayed for you. Uh, it's interesting, people are, people are so interesting, right? We never pray. As a world, we never pray. Until what? Until somebody comes into a school and shoots 20 kids. Then we'll pray. Suddenly the threshold, you know, is high enough, our pain level is high enough that we actually realize that we can't fix it ourselves. So then we'll do it. Or if you have, a, if you have a, a, an earthquake and 20,000 people are buried under cement, you can, you can hardly imagine a, you know, a worse death than that. Right? It's cold, it's rainy, and nobody's coming for you. I think you should pray every night. I'm going to suggest even a little more. I'm with you and I raise you, you know. Exactly. See, this is the point. Exactly, Tim. This is perfect, right? So, you know, what's interesting about being a pastor is, I've often said, although now somebody called my bluff, and so now I'm not going to do it, but I've often thought that I, uh, the people in Tazay, if you're young, the Vic thinks he's taken people to Tazay. The Vic has schemed a way to get out of an entire month of his vicarage. It's kind of interesting. And he did it in the way of Jesus, so he thinks we can't say no. We probably can't, which really frustrates us. So, because the vicar outthought us. It's not good. So he wants to go to a couple of weeks to Israel and a couple of weeks to Tazay, and he wants to call that an internship. <laughs> which would mean we would get to pay for it. It's beautiful in a devious sort of way. Anyway, um, you know, <laughs> your task is to say your prayers for other people and in that way change the world. Now, here's the thing, right? Um, your prayers will work like this. You'll say your prayers and then it'll be like that. And then you'll come back in a week. It'll be like that. Now, of course, what you're praying for is this, that when you pray, all you see is this. Now, and the trouble is then, if your friends know that you're praying, um, they'll say, well, that certainly didn't work. I found my perfect life this morning. Where's the Vic? Is he here even? Do you know what an anchorite is, Vic? I found the, my, I finally, like I was this morning think up early thinking about this, I think, you know what an anchorite is? An anchorite is somebody who, it's like a hermit, but he lives in a place where he can see people but not talk to people. Is this the perfect life? <laughs> you have a room in the church where you can, this is your, the extent of your interaction, right? Sometimes you can even see the Eucharist through a hole in a wall. It'd be beautiful. Maybe in retirement, you build a little, this is possible. Anyway, um, yes, my friend, my skeptical friend. Here, hold on just a moment. Okay, good? You've always said to pray boldly. Well, Luther said that. You mistook me for a Lutheran just there for a second. You have anything else you want to swear at me about, or is that it? That's the end of the... I just want to say that, and so I've always taken it to heart. Good. Always said to pray boldly. Yes, it's true. Just be timid, but God wants to hear us. Yeah. Our true. I mean, he knows, but he wants us to 
He wants you to know. And so, was there a punchline or just well, that you can... I say that because people sometimes don't... Yes, right. ...don't feel like they can really say... Yeah, perfect. And so last week, you know, I gave you rage, right? You can rage like the psalmist. Two steps back from that is boldly. And four steps behind that is a bit timid. And then there's nothing at all. But the case, you know, if you just keep saying your prayers, you'll get there. And you can say whatever you want. Jesus is sort of like a spell checker on your prayers. I pray for dumb stuff all the time. But I know that by the time they get to the Heavenly Father, it's perfect. Because remember we talked about this last week? When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And when he hears me, he hears Jesus. So, um, Jesus has these unlimited possibilities. The only limit is you're praying for them, which now tells you why you should say your prayers. You have friends who are in need, and um, Jesus has answers to their questions. Jesus has gifts for their needs. And so uh, you pray to bring gifts to their needs. Way back to the earthquakes and shootings and all that kind of stuff. If you start to talk to people about Jesus, they think you're some kind of crazy person. But almost, almost always, if you say to somebody, I'll pray for you or may I pray for you, almost always they will nod along. What could it hurt? Even people who are hardcore, you know, atheists. There's something about being broken, you know. The old thing about how facing death sort of steadies the mind, focuses the mind. Right? So um, you needn't even ask people, may I pray for you? You can just say, well, I'll pray for you then, you know. And then, you know, things start to happen. Um, maybe imperceptibly, but they, they start to happen. You got it? So this is your first responsibility, to be like Jesus. Jesus prays all day for you. You pray all day for other people. And you pray that Jesus would bless them, Jesus would heal them, Jesus would forgive them, Jesus would illumine them. All the things that Jesus offers, you take and give to your friends. Okay? So ask seek, and um, knock. And then look at this gorgeous stuff. For everyone who asks, receives. Everybody who seeks, finds. Everybody who knocks, it's open. And then, Jesus, you know, so interesting. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so you do pray for your friends that the Holy Spirit would enter their heart and illuminate them and lead them into mercy and bring them to forgiveness and heal them up and uh, plant virtue in their hearts and all the other things that the Holy Spirit does. And even when you pray you know, for your parents or your children or your friends who've gone off the rails, you pray that the Holy Spirit would enter their heart and bring light. You pray that Jesus would enter their heart and bring mercy. You pray and pray and pray and pray for them. So, uh, you know, Tim will take the 
the evening shift and I'll take the morning and then together we'll get a little bit of work done, okay? Now hopefully that sounds different than me saying to you as your pastor, how come you don't pray? Or um, why don't you pray more? Or do you ever pray? To be honest with you, um, I know some, you know, I know people, Christians, I mean, I mean, if I'm doing this for a while, I know people who don't pray. I know um, someone who had, I just, I don't got to, you know, I can't say. I know somebody who had a tragedy in their life, a murder in their family, and I'd known them for decades. And they said to me, since that day, I've never prayed. This is somebody who is, a, you know, disciplined and in church, which was, um, Shocking in the sense that to never pray is a really dangerous thing. Christians pray. And so, you know, you, you sort of begin to you worry about um, their spiritual health, right? So, I mean, this isn't like me finger-wagging at you saying, hey, you should pray. This is me saying to you, this is just what Christians do. I mean, this is, this is, this is the Christian life. Jesus is your brother. God is your father. And... They're waiting to hear from you. And you all know every relationship lives and dies by time spent, even if it's a text. You know, if your friend never texts you or never calls, then sooner or later they're not your friend because time spent is the essence of friendship. In the same, time, in the same sense, time spent is the essence of Christianity. Jesus is looking to hear from you. He's got things he'd like to give you and all your friends. Ask, seek, knock, receive, find, open. Um, and he's very, very good, right? So in just in saying this, this is just fact of the matter. I do, in fact, want to, you know, maybe it's a sign of getting old, but there are more and more of these things where I just, I spent my whole life kind of thinking about the angles. But in the end, one angle certainly is you should just do this because it's true. I mean, wait and see. You'll, I mean, if you do it enough, you'll see. Sometimes it'll even be yeah. like this. That'll be rare. That'll be when you, you know, put a hand on your child and ask the demons to leave. Or somebody is sick and they're suddenly healed, which has happened a couple times in my life. Um, or uh, something where you could see no way out suddenly opens. All these things are possible to you, not in some sort of dramatic way. They're just sort of, you know, in just this, these little ways. Um, repeatedly, they'll come to you. Okay, you okay? Can you change God? Daily, by the minute. He's waiting to be changed. Now, we're in Luke, so go left in your Bible to Mark 2. I will slay for you every Wheaton misconception of prayer. Mark 2, this is a, one of the most beautiful texts. Jesus went back to Capernaum. What's the page number, sorry? What's the page number for that? 3, 837, 837, okay? So if you just look at 837, right? Just kind of, these texts, just kind of relax into these texts and let the story unfold in front of you. Jesus went back to Capernaum after a few days, and it was reported that he was at home. Yeah, oh. And there were gathered together so many that there was no longer room for them, not even 
outside the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So you can imagine Jesus comes home, he just wants to watch ESPN. But no, you know, everybody wants to talk, right? And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. That is really interesting, just kind of get this image, right? Maybe you're the paralytic, maybe you're the four. But sort of imagine this, right? This is like the ambulance rushing into the crowd. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd. Now, you've got, you got to remember, this is a place where there's no, there's no doctors and there's no money and there's no clinic and there's no help and there's no cure and there's no pill and there's no shop. And your friend or your brother or your son is paralyzed. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Now, this isn't so weird because in the Middle East you have smaller houses and there's a door and then there's a hole in the roof often covered by, you know, maybe some tile, but usually just by palm trees so you can, or palm leaves. So you can take that off and then the wind blows through at night and it cools the place, right? So it's not like they, you know, jackhammered the roof off. This is like there's a hole in the roof. And they got up on the roof and they lifted him up and they uncovered this roof. It's heavy, it's heavy work, but it's not like, you know, uh, crazy talk. Okay, so um, they couldn't get near him, so they went up on the roof and they made an opening and they let him down on the pallet. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, my son your sins are forgiven. This is so interesting because the guy didn't ask for forgiveness. So far, the guy didn't ask for anything. He just kind of showed up because his friends took care of him, okay? Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man do this, which is forgive sins, all right? Because only God can forgive sins, and what are you saying about yourself? You're the conduit, you're God himself. What are you actually saying here? Why does he say this? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit what they questioned within their hearts. And he said to them, why do you ask questions like this in your heart? So you tell me, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your pallet and walk. So what's harder, curing a body or curing a soul? Right? If you have to choose, which one's harder? And Jesus' implication is, uh, that he did the heavy lifting first, but forgiveness is much harder than making somebody walk again. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose and immediately took up his pallet and went out before them all. This is really just a sidebar about Jesus healing. It's always immediate and almost always public and always complete. So you know the normal people are on TV begging for money and blah blah and all the stuff you see. That doesn't look anything like what Jesus was doing. Jesus would say, you can stand up, walk, and go home now. And the guy stands up and walks and goes home now. And there are no other explanations. And he rose and immediately took the pallet and he went out before them. So that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Okay, so the first story is, the first story is that you have a friend who is neat. You go to Jesus and borrow something. Now look how weird this story is. So this is how the story works. This guy's paralyzed, and his friends bring him to Jesus. 
And instead of looking at this guy, waiting for him to bed, he, he looks over here and he says, what a faithful guy. You said your prayers this morning. You love the Lord. This is great. He looks at faith over here and he heals this guy. Isn't that weird? Because all the stuff you see on the radio and on television is, you know, if you just had a little more faith, if you would just grow up and pray a little harder, and by the way, if you're writing a big check, Bruzek is named B-R-U-Z-E-K, and just, I'll take care of it, don't worry. It'll get to the church somehow. Just send me that check, and we're a 501c3. It's all going to be great. He looks at this guy and heals this guy. Isn't that weird? Because normally we're like, look at me and give me what I, you know, and unbelievers are different, or people who don't say their prayers are different, or the weak, the poor are different, but me and my Pharisee friends, we're your own and you should take care of us. Greek mythology, did you have to read it when you were a kid? Maybe that's not, Atlas, you know Atlas? Or for you economics type, Atlas Shrugged? Okay, so you know. Atlas bore the world on his shoulders. You remember, you've seen this where Atlas is. Atlas carries the world. This is what you do. So you'll be in church Sunday without people who should be in church. Or you'll be in church Sunday um, with your friends who have fallen away or taken a wicked path or given themselves to something that's really painful or who can't make it there because they're paralyzed in one way or another. People who are paralyzed spiritually, emotionally, physically. So your job is to pick them up and carry them to the altar when you go up for the Holy Supper. That's your job. You're like Atlas bearing the weight of the world. You're like the four guys on the end, uh, on the corners of the pallet, carrying, you know, a stretcher. You're carrying a stretcher and dropping people off in front of Jesus. That's what you do. So sometimes I say to you, you know, you don't come to church for you. You come to church for me. You do, of course, come to church for you, but that's only part of the gig. You come to church for me. You say prayers for me and my family. You should pray for Pastor Nelson because his life is getting worse by the second. Because what will happen is when he becomes a pastor, um, Satan will attack him and then his wife and then his children. One, two, three, four. So you should start praying for him right now because the trauma will be intense for him. You should carry him and Holly and the four kids to the altar on Sunday when you go, and you should drop them off there, and you should tell Jesus to take care of it. Because he'll look at your prayers and heal the Nelsons. You're no good hoodlum brother, right? Your aunt and uncle who are off the rails. Pick somebody. Your job, says Jesus, is to carry them into the presence of God, and God will look at you and heal them. Here you go. So, you got it? This is why, why do you say your prayers? You pray your prayers because you have friends who are in need. How do you do that? You borrow some things from Jesus and give them to him. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will bless you. Jesus has a place for you. You're never alone. 
you're always loved. Or, Jesus uh, will heal you in spite of yourself. How is it, do you think, that people who don't know anything suddenly know something? Or people who believe nothing suddenly believe something, right? How does this actually happen? Well, in part, it's because you pray. I mean, there's a story. So we're borrowers and bearers. I know people who make lists. You know, I confess to this myself, of people I'm going to pray for Sunday. One of the great joys of being a pastor is to be at the altar, get a little break, and pray for people off my list in the nearer presence of God. It's a perk. It's like for you when you have a country club membership. I don't have a country club membership, but I can pray near the altar. So who knows what could happen? There is a way for you to get on my list by asking, not by doing something stupid. Okay? You good still? Now, all this begins to beg the question about why you wouldn't pray. So, we think about how much time we pray, do we, right? We say to ourselves, maybe tonight, or I got too tired, you can go for a month or a week. You kind of go, Oof. Now, this isn't about, like, me wagging my finger at you say to pray. I just say, you know, look around. You just, just look around. Um, if you want to spin to it, if you can find Colossians, which is not going to be easy for you, you turn to the right in your Bible, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You got a, you got a page there, somebody? Nine, eight, three. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Four, verse two. So I'm going to tell you uh, in advance what this is going to say. You all should wake up. You should pay attention. You should see the things that to be thankful for, and you should see the things that are in need. Look at this. So, Colossians 4. Pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer, watchful with thanksgiving. So, chin up, eyes open, look around, observe the world, see where the pain is, see where the things are that need to for, for which we need to give thanks, and pray about that. Pray both for the needs. So for some people, you need to borrow things and give them out. Some people, you need to carry them to the altar and drop them off. But there are also these wonderful things which the Lord has given you. So for example, each other. You know, I always get um, the ask, you know, part of the ask is, uh, you know, why people who've been in the church a long time or even been in the Lutheran church a long time are asked to come here. Part of it is so that a big place feels like a small place. The people you meet here and join with, you'll always know. You'll come in and you'll always know 10 or 20 people. And it's important that you know them because if you don't know them, you don't know how to pray for them. It goes for other things too. If you don't know them, you don't know how to work with them. If you don't know them, you don't know how to encourage them, right? Eyes up, observe the terrain, Look at the things that are needful. Look at the things for which you ought to always give thanks. And of course, um, in a way, you know, when you give thanks and then also look at the things needful and you do that regular, so you do it at morning and then noon and at night, things begin to happen. Okay, you still good?
Now I want to ruin some of your ambitions if I can. Okay. So uh, let's see. Where are we going to go here? I got too many things and not enough places to set things down. I'll be back. I know where I want to go. It's just a matter of uh, First Peter. So again, to the right, just a little ways. First Peter 5. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to take you actually right to Ephesians. So don't go quite so far. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you've got to go left because uh, I can't do everything. So um, Ephesians 6, I think I want to go to. Let me just see here. No, that's not where, is that where I want to go? Yeah, Ephesians 6, hold on. Hold on. You know, between the combination of the pages falling out of my Bible and not being able to see anymore, it makes this all more difficult. Ephesians 6.10. I have subtly undercut the notion of prayer warriors and some people who are better than others about praying. When people despair that they don't pray well, um, you remember that Jesus is the spell check. And there is a subtle thing. I understand what people want to say in prayer warrioring, which is you should pray without ceasing, as Jesus says. But there's always this notion that, you know, warriors are the way to go. You know, it appeals to our warring nature. Um, however, in the scriptures. So I don't want to be too hard on this, but I just want to, I want to mildly brush the paradigm aside because it suggests there's some elite for whom the prayers are most answered. The great benefit of a prayer warrior is that they pray. But even if, you know, you may not fall into the categories of others, and I'll show you exactly why. The Romans, so now back to the ancient world like we did last week, remember that you're a friend of God and belong to the family can give advice. They change things. God takes your advice. So, you know, things that you thought were going to happen, then Jesus kind of moves it. In the ancient world, um, the Romans captured the world, if you will, and held it for six or seven hundred years. Broadly speaking, as they captured the world, there was the front line, the infantry, the Marines, the guys who would storm the beach, the warriors, if you will, the folks who grabbed territory. They got all the praise. They were the young and the strong, the reckless. But behind them then came the old guys, the grizzled veterans, the guys who had lost an arm but could still stay up through the night. These were guys who stood sentry duty. And so if you travel, you'll see places where there are walls and posts, outposts, where people didn't capture the ground, they held the ground. For most people, this is your work. For most people, holding ground already captured is your work. Here's the reason why. When somebody has captured your land, what do you do? You gather your friends and raise an army and have a counterattack to take it back. In the same way, 
when Jesus comes to recapture his world, Satan is deeply offended by this and never ceases to attack. And so, to be a Christian is to open yourself up to demonic attack. But you shouldn't be worried about that. I mean, Jesus is with you. You're his brother. He'll take care of you. But here's how he talks about it. Look at this. Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So not your own strength, but you know, you've been put into the church and so you just kind of relax into the strength. Now, it's incumbent on all of you to keep the church strong, me too, by borrowing the gifts and applying them, by saying prayers for those around us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, and now here's the big word, watch how often this comes, stand. So that you may be able to stand, watch. Not attack, not warrior, not go out on your own, not be a hero, stand. A sentry was a boring guy. There were, in the Roman world, there were four watches in the night, six to nine, nine to 12, 12 to three, three to six. Attacks almost always came in the fourth watch, people were tired, they'd been up all night, and they were most vulnerable. It's still dark, darkest before the dawn. And so, um, about the only thing that could get you in trouble as a sentry is if you fell asleep. If you fell asleep, it was a capital crime. You could be executed for falling asleep at your post, and that's because if you fall asleep, that's the weak point. The enemy pours in and the empire is lost. You should have that all in your head when Paul writes us about standing, doing sentry duty. Put on the whole armor of Christ. Now notice this is not an offensive weapon. All these weapons are defensive. An armor is so you know you don't take an arrow to the heart from a distance in the dark. You don't attack with armor. You're protected by armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's coming for you. Now, if you, if you, you know, bundle up and stay awake, you're going to be fine. For we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's another, these are levels of demons, okay, levels of evil spirits, but against principalities, against powers, against world rulers of the present darkness, against spiritual hosts, of the wickedness in heavenly places, different demons with different skills. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, you see, not attack, but just withstand. It's, it's gonna come for you, it's gonna come for you. If it never comes for you before the day of your death, it'll come for you on the day of your death. You can stand the, in the evil day and having done all, stand. I mean, this is like two, three, four times. Stand, 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 stand. Stay where you're put. This echoes Jesus saying, um, abide in me, dwell in me, stand in me, stay where you're put. Stand, therefore, for goodness sakes. Apparently people are not paying attention or they find it difficult. Stand, having girded your loins with truth, again, uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. All these things are defensive. Wear shoes so as you walk your beat, you know, you're feet don't, you know, hurt. 
Besides these, taking the shield of faith, another defensive weapon. Stand, 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 stand there in anticipation of fiery darts, sword play. Stand there with the shield of faith with which you can clench the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, again, so you don't take a blow to the head, you can think clearly, and the sword of the spirit. Now, what's interesting is, um, there's a particular kind of sword, it's short and fat. So it's not, like a, it's, not like a, it's not like a foil in the Olympics. It's not like, this is two feet long, fat, sharp on both sides, and used for, it's not as an offensive weapon, it's, it's a defensive weapon to parry, right? And to, when you're in close, that's what that's for. So the closest thing you have is a short weapon to protect the ground on which you're standing. This is, this is your job. So you take all these things, you stand there, uh, and, and um, the helmet of salvation, the word of God. And you remember the word is used in two ways, both for listening and for speaking, both for reading the scriptures and praying the scriptures. And so now you get to holy number seven, which is kind of interesting. Pray at all times, pray without ceasing, in the spirit, with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, pay attention, we saw that already, eyes up, look around, listen in the dark, even if you can't see, you can listen to the word of the Holy Spirit. So even when you descend into spiritual darkness, you can still listen, right? The darkness doesn't affect words. If we turn the lights off, you could still hear me and I could still hear you. Making supplication for all the saints, so pray for the church and pray for me, and so I'll ask you, pray for me, and I'll pray for you. I prayed for you once this morning, I'll pray for you again tonight before I go to bed. Pray for me, I will pray for you. That the utterance may be given me in opening my, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So for Paul, it's like, I'm in prison, you need to help me, I need to keep going. For which I am an ambassador in change, that I'm still bold and I speak as I ought to speak. There you go. So, um, when you pray, what happens is things move gradually, sort of over the decade. It's rare that you see the great big push, you might see it sometime, but you spend day after day, week after week, year after year, praying for somebody who, you know, gives you no never mind and never shows up. And then one day, you wake up, after all your prayers, and you realize that you started over here, but you know, after 20 years, now we're over here, and with another 10, we'll get to where we want to go, and that's how your prayers work. And if you don't say them, things just stay here and maybe don't change as much as they might have, or you settle for less, or you didn't help someone you could have helped, or you weren't generous with people you could have been generous to, or, 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 or. Your prayers change God and they don't change God. But they do change you, right? Your prayers do change you because if you really are using the sword of the Spirit, if you're always listening and then always speaking, they do change you because when the Holy Spirit's at work in your ear, it can't help but change how you act. More open, more kind, more generous, more devout. And then if you get everybody doing this at one time, you suddenly have this fantastic community and then you have churches together and then everybody pulls in the same end of the rope. And so why wouldn't you say your prayers? I can give you a dozen reasons why I don't say my prayers, but um, try to eliminate those. There's no downside, there's only upside. But protect yourself and those you love from evil and then 
advance yourself and those you love toward good, and all of that consonant or aligned with the will of God. And God is gracious enough to hear that from us. It's remarkable, remarkable stuff. Uh, that took longer than I thought, but uh, that could happen with me. Yeah, what's new? There you go. Jody, pray for me. Questions about any of that stuff? Oh, on a card. Are you brave enough just to read it? Yeah. Oh, he did. Uh, the question is, is prayer our best form of evangelism? Uh, huh. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a nice... Uh, I just, it's one of the best forms. If you don't make me pick between things, right? Because, you know, like St. Francis of Assisi, um, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. So prayer is one way to evangelize, but actually just kindness is another way. Especially in a world, the world gets darker and darker. Christians, instead of like breaking such a sweat about it, should realize the opportunity in that. It's going to be painful, but the church looks so, so different. So is that the best form? I don't know if it's the best form, but it's one that certainly should be used. And is basically <laughs> almost, I'll just say almost, uh, safe and foolproof. Although you might have read the article about the woman in the UK over the last few months who was standing outside an abortion clinic praying. Well, so here's, here's the story. She's standing outside an abortion clinic. A policeman comes up to her and says, are you praying? She says... I might be in my head, he arrests her for obstructing, uh, so you see the double bonus in this, he arrests her for obstructing access, which means her prayer was answered because she's obstructing access, but it got to the judge and it got thrown out last week because they, she said, well, you, can, you couldn't really, you know, you can't really see inside my brain, and I didn't really say I was, of course she didn't say that she wasn't, fabulous, but you kind of go, that's interesting. Anything else? Yes, please, Carol. So yesterday in Bible study, we read um, some of a psalm and Samuel. Yeah. Too, I don't know, but it says when you pray, it's right to the Lord's ear. That's right. Which is very comforting. Several of us haven't really thought about that, but this morning when I was doing my prayers, I was like, wow. Yes, right. So often uh, we get it wrong when we think they're, they're sort of like we don't have direct connection to the Lord. Now, I'm actually going to circle around back the other direction, too. So next level of comfort for you is when you speak, you do speak directly to the Lord. But on the days when you're not so strong about that, remember that the saints are praying with you. The angels are praying with you. Jesus is praying with you. And so even the days when you can't pray, they're praying for you, too. So even in the days when you're unsettled. So some days you're going to sit down to say your prayers, and you're just going to be like all over the place. This happens, normal the great thing is that other, it's like a funeral, right? When we come at a funeral, people pray for you because you can't pray. They, they, they sing for you because you can't sing, right? They weep for you because you can't weep. The, everybody else does what you can't do. The important thing is to be in position for that gift. Go ahead and give a go at hauling your friends over to Jesus, even though the pallet's a bit heavy. Or, you know, get up, get up out of bed and go ahead and knock on Jesus' door and see if he's got anything to lend. I just need something is a good enough prayer. What do you think might be good? Anything else? Yes, please, Megan. What if you don't have 30 years for the chair and move six feet? Where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> I'm impatient. Yeah. Hmm, hmm, impatience. Where have we heard about that before? 
Yeah, of course you're impatient. You're young and strong and have aspirations. Clocks are ticking, right? There are places to go. Um, have all the aspirations and impatience that you like. For importunity, another way of saying impatience, right? Almost frenetic knocking on the door. He was heard. Go ahead, use it to your advantage. But the thing is, is one of the, one of the difficult things for us is we always like to define our answers in advance. Here's another Wheatonism. We think up first exactly what God should do for us. Then we ring him up and we tell him. Sometimes we even give him a deadline. By five today, wouldn't it be good if you could, and the betrayal, if you would just heal the brain tumor? What about the bad knee? I mean, while he's there, can he fix the knee too, or you just want the brain tumor? Because we can do both things and only bill once. The brain tumor and the bad knee, we can do it all together. So you do your bit, which is your young, strong, energetic, warrior-esque, marine-ish, infantry, front line. There are people like this, you know. The missionaries are the people who are sent out. Old pastors broken down. They just put them in one place and hope they don't move around too far. If that's what you've got in you, have a go. And there is something about your, for your importunity or herd, but try not to, here's the thing, you need a better lawyer. You might settle too soon. You might settle for 10,000 bucks and you could have got a million. You don't know what that insurance policy looks like. So do it, but be open to whatever might come to you next. And build another cell. You can be an anchorite, S, if you like. Anything else? Patrick. After the same. There's a second part to that. There is. What is it? Recognizing when he's answered your prayer. Yes, it's nice. Well, that, that's exactly right. It's okay. It's, it's nice to say thanks once in a while. And of course, the stretch, the full stretch, is when a Christian can say of their own death, thank you very much. So even your own death becomes a gift and a blessing. And so this is why we pray sometimes for people that they have a blessed death. It, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're struggling, it does mean that they're dying. And, you know, they, they sort of said, well, there's nothing more we can do here. So, okay. I promise you another four or five weeks, if you can please be strong and come along, there's a lot of things to kind of wrap up. Last thing, I mean, we met, the pastors in the area all meet sort of once a month, and they all think we're crazy because this sort of goes on forever and ever. Um, but here's, 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 here's the secret, okay? Our attendance now, percentage-wise, is higher than it was before COVID, which is a miracle. Before average, a great, the standard in America is you're a great church if you get a third of your members to show up on Sunday. We were 73% before COVID, we're at 75% now. We have a higher percentage of our members coming to church than we did then. Why is that? Because we torture you in order to make you members. You know, you'll come on Sunday just so you don't have to come on Saturday anymore. I get it, right? This is the great screening process. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to come to you and say, take your W-2, move the decimal point one digit to the left, and give me all of that money. That'll be a much more serious ask than my one before. So, and then it's a place where I, the three places I lose people always are baptism. That doesn't really do anything. The Lord's Supper. No, it's not the body and blood of Jesus. And give me 10% because you stink at picking numbers. To which people go, are you out of your mind? Yes, I'm out of my mind. And if you're out of your mind too, then it ends up looking like this. How many guys went to Florida? 
So there's a reason why we sent four guys for two weeks to Florida with a bunch of heavy equipment to cut down trees for people who were standing around dazed because they had no idea how to get the tree off their house. There's a reason we can do that, right? Because people are interested, because they're loving, because you pray for them, and frankly, you pay for all the heavy equipment to go down there. That's a pretty cool thing. So this is a different kind of gig. Um, maybe you figured that out, but maybe not, but full disclosure, small print, lawyer talk. This is a different kind of gig. And do not join this congregation if you're not interested in that. I can refer you, <laughs> I really can. But if you want that, then you should be here. If you wanna to go to the Eucharist, if you wanna to come to confession, if you want a pastor to see you in the, in the hospital, if, this is, if you wanna do good, if you wanna be generous, if you wanna say your prayers, you know, this is a skills course. This whole Saturday thing has been a skills course. This is about the things that Christians just do. There's no argument about it. If you're a Christian, this is what you do. You just do it, you know? Jesus wasn't arguing about it all the time. He's like, hey, follow me. But the saddest, the saddest story in scripture is when he sees the rich young guy and he says, you're a fabulous person, sell your stuff and let's go. You can be disciple number three. And the guy turned around and went the other way. What does the scripture say? Because he loved his stuff and he loved his life and he didn't want a Jesus life. This is a Jesus life. And some points it's painful, but mostly it is fabulous, right? So that's why you should come here. All right, uh, let's pray. Give me another four or five weeks. Uh, by the time we get into Lent, you know, get the ashes on you. And, you know, that's kind of the ultimate, you know, like, hey, how about this? How about some death? <laughs> we'll see. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.